This morning, we're going to continue our journey through the book of Exodus. We uh, began taking up chapter 16 last week, and this part of the narrative uh, is this part of the narrative where the Israelites have moved on. They moved on from Elam, and now they find themselves in the wilderness of uh, sin. Uh, God, in his mercy, uh, has led them to this desolate place in order to test them um, and to continue to strengthen their faith in him. Faith strengthening, faith exercise uh, is not done during the good times. Uh, if you read Ecclesiastes, it's always done. Faith is strengthened, always, it's always done through fire, through the hard times, through difficulties. Um, that's why I think God led them there. So they'd be tested and at the same time strengthen their faith. Uh, but obviously, if you know the story, the Israelites failed all their tests. Every time God tested, they failed. The mark of their failure has been their grumbling. Um, this is a continuous theme that you're going to see throughout the book of Exodus, how the Israelites grumble um, every time. Um, and, and, and that grumbling is a sign of their failing God's tests. Uh, the grumbling is a sign of their lack of faith. Uh, so they've been grumbling from the start. They grumbled while in Egypt when Moses pled for their freedom and were continually rejected by Pharaoh. They grumbled. Um, they grumbled during the Exodus when they, uh, upon reaching the edge of the Red Sea, they saw the angry Egyptians coming uh, and approaching, and there was no way of escape. What did they do? They grumbled. Uh, they grumbled three days after crossing the Red Sea at, at Mara. We have no water, they grumbled. And then when they, God gave them water, it's bitter, they grumbled. Um, and then when they get to, um, after leaving Elam, after a month and a half, um, they grumbled again. Uh, no food. Sounds like us when there's a fellowship and there's no food. Ah. Ah. <laughs> Spring cleaning, no food. Ah. <laughs> Each time grumbling got worse and worse, right? Uh, but God was so merciful and patient uh, that he continued to heal the root of their grumbling, namely the heart that lacks faith in him. That's why they're grumbling is because they lack faith in, in God. And we saw this last week, and I said that the problem that the Israelites have in uh, us today is that we have a tendency to abuse the good things that God gives us out of a sense of privilege. Because God is so gracious, he always gives us, give, 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 give. There's one thing that we ask for that he doesn't give, we grumble. We forget about the 10,000 things that he has given us. 10,000 ordinary things that he has given us because we want that one extraordinary thing. Right? So in the story, God continued to train them. Uh, and the part of the story that we are in, in chapter 16, is um, the part where after hearing them grumble against Moses and Aaron about being hungry, God, again, heard their grumbling and again provided for them. Um, let's read it again. Uh, chapter 16, verses 4 and 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So um, I titled this whole uh, mini-series, 
uh, on this part of the story as the desert diet. Okay, the desert diet. For those of you who weren't here last week, I said that when we talk about diets in the physical sense, we are really talking about the different aspects of a person's diet when it comes to their consuming food. Right? Talked about this last week. Uh, therefore, when we talk about a human being's physical diet, uh, that conversation would include what we eat, when we eat, and most importantly, how much we eat. We hate that part. How much? The how much is we're kind of abusing this, right? So when we talk about diet, we talk about that. What we eat, when we eat, how much we eat. Now, la last week, I said that if a person's goal is to lose weight, that person would need to go on a caloric deficit diet. That's what you need to do in order to lose weight. Eat less calories than what you burn. It's pretty simple, right? Or if you eat more, then burn it off. Simple. Huh? Or most of us, it's sinful. Instead of simple, <laughs> we eat too much. <laughs> Gluttony. Uh, but yeah, that, that's what it is. You just eat less than what you burn. Uh, that's what it is. And, and we call that, if, if that's what your goal is, if your goal is to lose weight, we call that a weight loss diet. Simple, right? It's a weight loss diet because the goal is to lose weight. Wait. Now, if you look at the diet that God has uh, placed the, the Israelites in, uh, what would we call that? What kind of diet is the Israelites' desert diet? So I would call the desert diet as a faith gain diet. Faith gain diet. Obviously, the Israelites didn't need to, need, need to lose weight. So they don't need a weight loss diet. They needed a faith gain diet because they need to gain more. Faith. Now, how does God do it? Well, uh, before we get to the how, um, I found out that the first thing, if you're going on a diet, right, who here is on a diet right now? Hmm. Well, weight gain diet. Uh, <laughs> I'm on a weight gain diet, <laughs> right? If you're on a diet, the first thing that I found out, for a person to succeed in a diet, I don't care what diet it is, for a person to succeed in your dietary goals, um, you have to have a big reason why you're dieting to begin with. It has to be big in order for you to achieve your goal. So as far as physical dieting is concerned, uh, for most people, getting stronger and more fit, uh, apart from just losing weight, getting stronger, more fit is usually the goal for most people. Would you agree with that? I want to be strong. That's why I want to lose all this weight, because I want to be more fit. Uh, but if you stop there, if that's your goal, as far as your diet is concerned, whatever it is, the tendency is when you've reached your goal, you relax. Ah, I, want to, I, don't want to lose, I want to lose 10 pounds. And you lose 10 pounds, ah, done. I can eat again. Ah, 10 pounds again, back in. Right? We tend to relax once we've reached our goal because our goals are, or our why or the reason why we do things is too low. Um, and so for some people, when you relax, that means we tend to go back to our old ways. Uh, there's this article, a couple of articles and on the internet that says um, around 80 to 90% of people who lost a lot of weight, 20 to 30 pounds or even more, will eventually regain just about all of it. 80 to 90% will regain. 
I actually gained some weight just going to Florida. Uh, it's the people that I, I was with were not on a weight loss diet. <laughs> so I, I had to, I, you know, I had to go with the flow. Huh? Let's go to Denny's. Let's go. Pancakes. Let's go. Forget calorie counting. So I gained weight. But a lot, 80 to 90%, if you've lost a lot of weight, the tendency is you regain all of it back. Some, some of them even gain more than what they started with. And one of the reasons why um, another article is saying is that uh, the weight gain could, you, could be attributed to the makeup of a person's body. Sometimes it's genetic. But most people who regain the weight back can be traced back to a backsliding. Right? You go back to your old ways. Right? After a intervention. So if somebody intervened or something intervened with your weight loss. Uh, let's say uh, you were diagnosed with uh, diabetes. <laughs> My wife. I have to lose weight because I'm a type 2 diabetic. Once you've lost that weight and once you've reversed the type 2 diabetes, you relax. There are no more diabetes. I can, you know, go back. <laughs> right? Some of us, we, we, we watch our sugars and we watch our weight only when we have exams. Like we have a physical exam coming up. I, I know somebody who is like that. <laughs> I'm not going to mention any names. But he's here. Uh, <laughs> I have a blood checkup. I need to watch my... Uh, but after that, back to the... Right? Back to that. In this case, this um, was, was, was seen in a reality TV show uh, called The Biggest Loser. I don't know if you guys heard of this show. Um, it aired back in 2004 and it ended in 2016. So the show featured uh, obese or overweight contestants who were competing for a cash prize by losing the highest percentage of weight compared to their original weight. So the article states that after a few years, a follow-up study was conducted on some of the contestants of the show and found out that they have regained about two-thirds of what they had lost during their appearance on the show. On average, some even ended up heavier compared to when they first appeared on the program. Why is that? My, my argument in today, I'm going to try to argue, is because their why, the reason why they lost weight wasn't big enough. Right? The reason why most of the contestants did what they did was because of something small and temporary like a TV show. It wasn't big enough. So when the show ended, the hype was gone. Tendency is to go back to how they were before the show started. Some of them are even worse. Now, as far as the Exodus story is concerned, the Israelites are about to go on this faith gain diet. In order for them to persevere, they need a big why. Why in order, why are we doing this? What is their big reason in order for them to persevere in the wilderness, in this faith gain diet, and so that they can make it to the promised land? Let's look at the why that God showed the Israelites before even putting them on this faith gain diet. Let's read it again. Uh, Exodus 16, 6 to 10. You guys can read this part. Who said to the Israel, I have given you 
So as soon as, okay, so God spoke to Moses. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to rain bread. Moses spoke to Aaron. Aaron, tell the people, I'm going to, God's going to rain bread. As soon as Aaron spoke to the people, what happened? Looking in the wilderness, they saw a cloud. God's glory. Now, why is that so significant? What is God trying to show the Israelites by showing them his glory? I was really struggling with this part of the text this whole week. I was writing this sermon while I was in Orlando, in Florida. Um, I was really struggling with this part because it seems weird to me that God's initial answer to the grumbling of his people was to show them his glory. Lord, we need bread. We're hungry. Here's my glory. <laughs> Doesn't make sense, right? Doesn't it make sense to you? Because I tend to question those things. When you read your Bible, question Question everything. Why God? Why is God showing them His glory? What's the purpose of it? What's the significance of God showing them His glory before He even gave them bread? On the second day of the conference, I heard this sermon uh, preaching on the triunity tri of God. Okay, the triunity of God and how God is triune, and God being triune, if you don't know what triune is, uh, one God, three persons. So. Um, God being triune, uh, the speaker said, uh, his name was Dr. Reeves, um, he said that the God being triune is actually the mold in which the gospel was formed. Right? So the, the basis or the foundation of the gospel is the triunity of, of God. It makes the gospel good news that God is a trinity. Um, the speaker, Dr. Reeves, stated that the importance of the triunity of God hangs on God being a loving Father. So that if you were to explain Trinity, why is, what, what does it mean to be one God and three persons? Um, Dr. Reeves said that it hangs on God being a loving Father. Right? Uh, the, the, the argument or the, the way he kind of brought us through what that means is that God can't be called a father if he has no son. And he can't be a father if he doesn't love his son. So the son can't be called a son if he has no father. That makes them one. And where does the Holy Spirit come in? It's the love between them. You take one out, it destroys the whole thing. Get it? That's why it's that's why it's three in one, <laughs> right? You take the son out, the father can't be a father. You take the father out, son can't be a son. Take the love out, they can't be father and son because they hate each other. Um, and that's, the, 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 that's how he, he framed it. That's how the speaker, the Dr. Reeves, framed it. Um, and he said that this is what separates God from all the other gods. God being three in one, triune. 
It separates God from all the other gods. The, Dr. Eves even uh, compared God to the other gods by saying, the, the God of the Bible is the only God who is not needy. Right? All the other gods, when they, uh, he said that all the other gods are by themselves. They sit on a throne by themselves with nothing else. So what do they do? They created people, right, so that there would be people to worship them. There would be people to, uh, to have a fellowship with, right, because they're lonely, right? That's why God said in the, in the garden, right, everything was good, 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 good. Then on the, uh, in Genesis 2, God said, well, something's not good. Man is not good when he's alone, right? That's not good for man because God is not alone. Is triune. Um, and that's what separates him from the other gods. So much so that the other, uh, the other gods are dependent on their creation. You know that about the Greek gods? If they stop worshiping them, the Greek gods, they, they become weaker. Every time the people, you know, stop believing in them, they become weak. Because they were dependent on them uh, for fellowship. Meanwhile... God's not. He doesn't need anybody to love. There's the Son. He doesn't need anybody to love Him. There's the Son. He doesn't need any. He's not lonely. He's not by Himself. He is triune. There's three of them. Um, so, in other words, the, the the main point that I want to get to you is that God being triune is that He is self-sufficient. Dr. Reeves said that all the other gods were lonely gods and had to create beings in order to have some company. God doesn't need that. He is self-sufficient. He is perfectly full and happy within the relationships that he has within the Trinity. He doesn't need anything. And that's why a lot of uh, commentaries, a lot of theologians said that that's why God created human beings out of pure love. He didn't have to do it. But he wanted to love more people. So he created other human beings out of pure love. Dr. Reeves even said that the triune nature of God is how the Bible can describe God as love. Right? It's not dependent on anything. His love is not dependent on anything that we bring to the table. He just loves us. He created us because he loves Now, I believe that uh, in the Exodus, in 1610, uh, chapter 16, verse 10, God's initial response to the grumbling of the Israelites was to show them his glory. This is me. So to speak. This is me. That's like saying to the Israelites, the God who freed you from slavery and got you out of Egypt, the God who uh, held water, held back the water of the Red Sea so that you may cross to your salvation, the God who turned the bitter water of Merah into sweet water is self-sufficient. I didn't do any of that because I needed you. The only reason why he did what he did is because he loved them. Because God is self-sufficient. I, I freed you and took you to be my people not because of anything in you or because of I need worshipers. I did that because I love you, God says. In God's display of his self-sufficiency, when you think about it, when you talk about God's glory, when he displayed his glory, he's displaying his attributes, right? 
That's what makes him God. This is what makes me God. Glory is the uh, visual manifestation of God's holiness. This is what separates me from other gods. In, the, in Egypt, he showed that through the plagues, where he destroyed all the other gods through the plagues. This time, he's showing uh, the Israelites um, that I'm self-sufficient, that in his glory, he's showing them I have no need for anything. I, I exist on my own. I don't need anybody or anything to exist. Um, God's display of glory in Exodus 16, 10 is like God saying, I'm not bound by anything. I own everything. Therefore, whatever you're grumbling about, what, what are they grumbling about? Food? No problem. I can give it to you. And I will provide. So at the root of God's faith gain diet and the source of confidence to persevere and sustain God's faith gain diet. What's at the root of it? What's holding it all together? God's all-sufficient, all-sustaining glory that is showered to his people in love. Okay? You follow me so far? God being self-sustaining, God being triune, Okay. Doesn't need anything, but in love gives us everything is what will sustain. This is the big why to sustain the faith gain diet. Amen? You get it? So if you don't get it, you're going to get lost in this next part. Okay? Now, this is how good God is. Seeing is one thing. Believing and experiencing God's all-sufficient, all-sustaining glory is something else. So God showed them, look at me. I'm self-sufficient. I can do anything. I can give you anything. I, I own everything. So don't be afraid. Stop grumbling. This is me. God would be cruel if he just, said, if he just stopped there. If he just said, this is me, and that's it. <laughs> right? That would be cruel. But thank God he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just show Israelites, the Israelites' his glory. He makes it a reality in their lives. How? Check out uh, chapter 16, verse 12. Again, can you guys read it? See that? Last phrase. What does it say? I will do this. You saw my glory. And I will provide for you so that you shall know that I am the Lord your God. That's the key phrase to that. That's the big, that's not just part of the big why. That, that is the big why in reality, in our reality. So that you shall know that I'm the Lord your God. I will make my glory, self-sufficiency, make known to you objectively in reality. Right? And therefore, you want, bread, you want food? give you food right? so how does God continually strengthen the faith of, faith of his people by revealing his glory to them through the fulfillment of his promises that's how God reveals himself to his people that's how God shows them his glory by, by uh, fulfilling all of his promises to them follow again follow the story Israel grumbles, God shows his glory in the cloud, God tells the mediator his promises and then fulfills them. 
And over and over again, same thing, every day. Israel grumbles. God shows his glory. God tells the mediator his promises. And then he fulfills it. Right? This is the training regimen. And this is how faith gain diet works. We grumble. We remember God's glory. We see it by faith. The Lord Jesus Christ, I'm getting ahead of myself. Right? We go back to scriptures. What are his promises? This is his promises. We stick to his promises. Have faith in his promises. And then he fulfills it. And what did I say last week? What's our tendency when God fulfills promises? We grumble again. <laughs> Until you learn that God will always fulfill his promises. This is the regimen. Over and over and over again. But thank God that he's not, he's not uh, his patience is not short. Some of us, we have short patience, especially with our kids. I've told you this three times. Why can't you just get it? It's only three times. Keep going. <laughs> You're a parent. Do over and over again. Don't you love your children? <laughs> anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. How does God increase the faith and therefore cut the root of the grumbling of the Israelites? By proving himself faithful over and over again. How? Not just by showing his glory, but in meeting their needs, physical or spiritual. Check out what Riken uh, comments here. And I quote, every time God provides, he adds a little more weight to his reputation. Okay. Um, this is assuming that we always see everything that we have as a provision from God. I'm assuming that in you. If that's not you, that's not for you. <laughs> okay? Forget this. Right? If you don't see everything that you have, to, even to your breath, if you don't see that as a provision from God, this is not for you. Because that's what God is doing every time he provides. He is adding more weight to his reputation as a faithful father, right? Edwards, uh, Jonathan Edwards said this, and I quote, the believer delights in attributing, giving the praise of all that he has and all that he is and all that he enjoys to who? To God, in acknowledging that it comes from him. And that is all the fruit of his benignity and it's not owing to himself. That is not owing to his own strength to get it or his own merit to deserve it. But alone to the power of God and mercy of God in being willing to bestow it, to give it. And to his power in procuring it. Thus, he loves to give God the glory of all his temporal things. You can't say, no, I deserve this. I worked for this. That is not the right attitude. Thanks, thank God for giving me whatever. Right? It's not your money. I know you work hard for it. All of us do. But without God giving you health, the breath that you, that we all breathe, there's no making money. Now, in the narrative of chapter 16, God's provisions came in the form of bread. Now, me and my wife were talking about it. And my wife told me, Di ba nakakasawa yun? 
I, I don't know what the English of that. Don't, don't you get sick of that? Bread every day? Who here eats bread every day? The same bread every single day. Nobody, right? We don't even want to eat uh, bread, uh, day-old bread. We don't want day old. I want fresh baked bread. Right? So I'm, I, I was thinking, it got me thinking, is that the point of this? Is he, is he training them to um, <laughs> be satisfied with bread? <laughs> no, I don't think so. But that's what it is, right? God's provision came in the form of bread. So what is God's message to us then? Behind this bread that came from, from heaven. It's not regular bread, by the way. I was going to make some for you guys, but you might call me every day. Where's my bread? Where's my bread? Uh, you can actually make it, uh, the manna. Um, but what is it? What's God's message behind this bread that came from heaven? And again, we have to connect it to the foundation of this whole faith gain diet, right? How do how they, how they keep eating this bread every single day? Uh, and again, the faith gain diet is the root, at the root of it is God's glory. He's trying to show you his glory in his self-sufficiency through the bread. Right? Seeing glory is not enough for God, remember? Self-sufficiency, seeing his glory in his self, being self-sufficient, not enough. He has to make it objective, real. That's why he gave bread. So that's, that's the message that he's trying to give us or give the Israelites through the bread. So now... When God responded to the grumbling of his people by sending them bread from heaven, it's like God saying, this is an extension of my self-sufficiency. That means that this bread, since it came straight from God, is sufficient to meet all your physical needs by itself. Right? You don't need to go, uh, can I get that toasted with extra butter? <laughs> or can I get that with extra cream cheese? You know, some of us smoke salmon with avocados. No, we don't need all that stuff. God's saying that bread is sufficient to sustain you for all of your needs. Now, some of us are saying, is that all that they ate? Wasn't there quail? Yeah, the first day there was quail. After that, God didn't say, only take five quails each. No, <laughs> it is just the bread. So some theologians are saying, quail came one time, the rest of the 40 years, no quail, just bread. The quail came again before they entered Canaan. Some theologians are saying, some commentaries are saying. So let's take it, that, let's take it from there. If it's just bread, God is saying, this is enough. This will sustain you for however long you're supposed to be there, 40 years. 40 years of bread Extension of God's self-sufficiency, right? Came from God. That means God is saying this is sufficient to meet all of your needs. You don't need to add anything to it. You can feed on this alone and you will live, right? And it sounds like the Bible, right? right? We, there's another session that we uh, attended uh, uh, and it spoke about the sufficiency of Scripture. Dr. Lawson said that the Bible, it's the full package for salvation. You don't need to add anything to it. In fact, there is a warning. If you add, take away, you will be cursed. It's self-sufficient. 
No need to add anything. No need to take away anything. Everything that we need in order to be saved is in the Bible. So eat it. Read it. <laughs> Who here reads their Bible? Read your Bible. It's manna from heaven. Right? Read it. So the manna for the Israelites is the bread. It is sufficient all by itself because it came from God who is all sufficient. Right? And it has to be sufficient, again, because they ended up living on this stuff for 40 years. It has to be. God's not going to give you something and then fall short. God doesn't know how to fall short. So he didn't, he wasn't lacking when he just gave them manna. That was all that they needed, right? And notice too, the name of the bread. The name of the bread, manna, translates to, what is it? That's what it means. That's why it's called manna. Because they don't know what it is. What is this? Right? Sometimes that's our response to God, right? God, Give me a million dollars. God gives you a job. Lord, what is this? I asked for a million dollars. <laughs> Why do you give me a job? <laughs> Sometimes that's us, right? Because we don't, we don't get it. We don't understand the provision of God. Right? He gave them bread because that's what they needed. And they named it, what is it? Because that's who they were. What is this? Right? Remember their grumbling? Their grumbling was, in Egypt, we were eating pots of meat. So when they asked God, they were thinking, oh, this is going to be a buffet. But when God re responded with bread, they're like, what is it? <laughs> what is this, a buffet of bread? Oh, man. So now, it, even in the name, what is God trying to teach the Israelites? And us today, when it comes to this bread, um, God is teaching us, to learn how to trust him in two ways. Through the manna. God is teaching us how to trust him in two ways. First, trust in God even if you don't understand or know what he's doing. Like, what? Lord, like, what's going on? Right? Trust in God in that. Second, trust in God's faithfulness to provide. Because what was the instructions? Only gather what you're going to eat for that day. Except on a Saturday. Why? Because Sunday, no gathering. Right? You're supposed to rest. You're supposed to, what, what is resting again? What's Sabbath again? It's a day to enjoy God's presence, to commemorate his salvation, his goodness, to celebrate it. So no gathering. Don't worry, even if you don't gather, I will provide for you. Take two portions on Saturday, and it's not going to rot. That takes a lot of faith, right? Because five days the week, Every time you take extra, it rots. And then all of a sudden on Saturday, don't worry, it's not going to rot. Come on, God, five days it rotted. <laughs> then all of a sudden, Saturday's not going to rot. You got to trust. That's why it's faith gain diet. You got to trust, right? And both of these are grounded in God's love for them, right? Because God loves you. He doesn't want you to fill yourself up and then save some so you can have midnight snacks, by the way. That's the number one weight, weight gain, I think. Keep snacking at night. Those of you, who snacks at night? I can't sleep. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> no, but seriously, that's why God just tells him, just get enough. Just get enough for the day. Just don't, don't leave some for the next day. Because he wants them to be healthy. He 
want them snacking on manna at night? No, right? <laughs> While they're watching Netflix? Uh, <laughs> both of this is grounded in God's love. It is, it is, it is through love. It is because of love that God limits. Right? It's not because he hates them. It's not because he doesn't want to give them. It is through love because he, he loves you. That's why he's limiting. At the same time, trust him for the next day. Right? Trust him for the next day. So even if they, the Israelites didn't know what this bread was, God was training them to trust that it would be sufficient for all their needs. Trust that this bread will be enough to nourish and sustain them through their wilderness journey. And trust that when God says there will be bread, there will be bread. And when he says there's no bread, then there's no bread. Like you, you read the story, right? On the seventh day, some people still went out and looked for bread. Like, didn't you hear the instructions? There's no bread on Sabbath. Stop going out there and looking for bread. Uh, I know some of them, oh no. Does that mean I shouldn't work on a Sunday? <laughs> Uh-oh. Half of the congregation, oh no. <laughs> Does that mean that you shouldn't work on a Sunday? Who said Yes. So, no, no, we get double pay on Sunday. <laughs> no, but working on a Sunday is not going to make you rich. That's, I'm just going to say that. I'll just put it out there. <laughs> God can provide for you. You don't have to work on Sunday. To, if, if that's your goal, then it's not going to make you rich. Uh, some of us, we, we, we know that we have extra money on coming on Sunday, so we borrow more money. I got extra on Sunday. Let me spend some more. Uh-huh. No, no. <laughs> Don't go out there looking for bread on a Sunday, God told the people of Israel. There's no bread to eat. I've already provided for you on Saturday. Not enough? Take as much as you can eat. There's no limit to that. But only take it for that day. Don't hoard don't even try to save for tomorrow. I know that sounds like bad financial advice. But we're doing faith gain diet, right? Because God will prove himself faithful again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Amen? I didn't get any amens for that. I guess people like to work on Sunday. Some of you are thinking, well, how come you work on Sundays? I have to feed you. <laughs> I get fed during the week and during conferences. Um, so that's faith gain. That's, that's, that's their, that's their regimen, right? That's their regimen for the, this whole time, 40 years in the wilderness. That's the regimen is to strengthen their faith. And again, it's based on God's self-sufficiency. And because he's self-sufficient, he does everything out of love. Right? Um, now for us today, what's our manna? Who's our manna? Our bread from heaven. Jesus himself, right? John 6, can you guys read that? 31 to 35. Thank you. 
those who come to Jesus by faith, trust in Jesus, um, will have all their needs met, both physical and spiritual. They will never hunger. They will never thirst. And somewhere else it says, though they die, yet shall they live again. Um, and Jesus, remember when Jesus said this after feeding 5,000? They followed him across the, the sea, asking for more bread. And Jesus says, no, no, no. There is a bread that when you eat, um, you'll never grow hungry. Give us this bread always, Jesus said. Okay, eat my flesh, drink my blood. They all left. Right? But then Jesus said this in John 6, um, I am the bread of life. Right? Those who um, come to me, those who receive me, will never thirst. They will never hunger again. And Jesus, uh, being the bread of life, is sufficient. Right? There is no other way. I am the way, only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. He's sufficient as the bread. His sacrifice on the cross is sufficient. No need to add anything to that to be saved. The work on the cross is enough. Right? A desert diet is a faith-gained diet that is rooted in the glory of God as a self-sufficient and loving Father who will faithfully provide for all the needs of His Self-sufficient, he doesn't need anything. He does everything out of love, right? I think it was Francis Chan who said, um, let me read to you a quote. Um, the irony is that while God doesn't need us, but still wants us, we desperately need God, but don't really want him most of the time. It's ironic, right? Isn't it? The God who doesn't really need us, <laughs> He's chasing after us because he wants to save us. Meanwhile, we keep running away. And we need him the most, but we run towards things that we don't need. Things that will ultimately lead us to death. It's ironic. And isn't it ironic that I was telling my wife this. You know the whole story of Exodus, right? They've been grumbling for food, grumbling for water, grumble, grumble, grumble all the way throughout the... What killed that generation of people in the desert? Was it hunger? Did they die of hunger ever? Any of them die of hunger? No. They died because they kept grumbling. And God just got sick. That's it. Your generation, done. I'm going to give to the next generation everything that I promised. Your grumbling generation? That's ironic, right? The thing that they were grumbling about, the thing that they were worried about, didn't kill them in the end. <laughs> Something else did. It was their own. It was their own grumbling that killed them. They didn't think God was sufficient. Forty years, they, they didn't learn. How long have you been a Christian? Almost longer than that. Have we, did you get it now? Do you get the, the routine? God always provides. He always provides. And stop rumbling. He always provides. He's never short. And don't be anxious, right? Matthew 6. What's he going to provide? He's going to provide you clothing, food. Only the Gentiles are worried about these things. But God knows what you need and he will provide. 
Stop grumbling. God is sufficient. Jesus is sufficient. The desert diet is a faith-gained diet that is rooted in the glory of God as a self-sufficient, loving Father who will faithfully provide for all the needs of His people. And the more He sustains, the more He provides daily, the more our faith should be or ought to be reinforced and sustained. The more it's strengthened, the more it should grow. If we see that all these things, 10,000 little blessings, ordinary blessings, come from Him. Sometimes we neglect good weather. Don't neglect that. Thank God for that. Sometimes you neglect being able to walk. Don't neglect. I, I, I was almost grumbling at, in Orlando. We were walking, uh, what is it, two and a half miles, one way and back to the, to the conference. So I'm like, man, I have bad feet. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought. No, this is a good exercise. Thank God. For giving me exercise because I keep eating Denny's, right? Thank God that I can exercise it by walking back and forth to the conference. We have to have that kind of mentality, that kind of worldview, that in everything, what is that? In everything, give, right? And then when we see that, when you see that everything is from God, even the small little things, not just the big things, even the small little things, um, then our faith gets sustained. Our faith is reinforced. Our faith is grown. We need to continue to trust in His goodness, especially in times when we can't see it. And we need to trust that He's going to be faithful, especially in those times. Right? The more we see the glory of God in the little, ordinary things by faith, the more our faith will continue to grow, which will lead, hopefully will lead, to a life that is full of gratitude and hope and less and less grumbling. No more Couples, we're gonna couples. What are we eating? I, I almost grumbled when somebody told me. No, because I asked, like, "What are we eating for couples?" I think I was asking Brother Philip. He's like, "Sun up, sun up again." You know, sun up, the Chinese food again. Can we have something else? <laughs> and then I catch myself. You catch yourself, right? Oh, sun up. Oh, son up. Son up, great. <laughs> oh, we shouldn't grumble. We shouldn't grumble. Our God is good. Like, I mean, just you, us being here, right? You see what's happening all over? I was in Florida. I was almost grumbling because it's so hot. It's like it's burning the back of your neck hot. And I'm like, no, this is in Canada. This is what we're waiting for. And now it's here, and we're grumbling. Anyway, that's us. May God have mercy on all of us. And uh, hopefully, through his grace, give us more faith to see his goodness in each and every little ordinary thing that he gives us. Amen? Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. Gracious, gracious, gracious.